Hello, everybody, and welcome to a special bonus episode of the Spore the Warning podcast, where we are talking about our favorite films of 2021. I'm Christopher Schneezy. And I'm Stephen Miller. And if you're joining us for the first time, the Spore the Warning podcast is a weekly film review program. Each week on the show, we're going to dive in, debate, discuss, and argue over the latest films coming to a streaming platform near you, except for this episode, where once a year, we come together, we look back at the previous year of films, um, or maybe the previous year of life, and uh, we put together our lists of, um, you know, what, what we want to talk, to talk about, the things that stuck with us the most, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, before we get to our list, Stephen... I kind of want to just ask you generally, what did you think of this past year of film? Not necessarily like rating how it was against others, but just being a film goer in the yeah. year 2021. What was that like? Well, it was confusing. And the key word there is goer, you know, a film goer. <laughs> uh, it, you know, 2020 was the year that the COVID pandemic hit. And we had no idea what this podcast was going to look like, what an end of the year list was going to look like. But the world kind of adapted and decided, you know what, we are doing major things online. The big releases are all going to be available via VOD or virtual festival or something like that. And I think we wound up with a pretty normal list, like a pretty normal end of the year thing, maybe more small things and less big things. But like, at least in the my type of movie camp, there were it was pretty <laughs> standard. 2021 was the year when theaters opened, whether or not they should have. Yeah. And a sizable number of things decided we are going to pretend a pandemic doesn't exist. And we're just going to go to theaters. And if you snooze, you lose. Um so the first thing I feel about this year is I have not seen probably like eight or nine movies that are heavily in the conversation as obviously you have to see this before you discuss the year in film. Yeah. Um, so as a film goer, I feel confused because for the first <laughs> time I'm like mostly confined. It's as if I lived in a non-major movie place like back in escondido it sometimes felt like that where like carson would get his fancy new york la only movies at the end of the year yeah. and he'd name drop them in the end of the year review and we'd be like motherfucker we're not going to see that forever <laughs> how does that even count i feel like that for so many things this year yeah. except for we uh virtually attended some um you know within the boundaries of the festival others with magical uh, ways of doing it we virtually attended a few things that thank god because that is the only reason i feel like i have a clue what the year in film was was yeah. these festivals yeah i mean it, it was it was it was very strange as you said uh you know for the last few years all the streaming services have become like this big thing that actually has force to it and you know releases films that are that are often talked about near end of years um so we knew we could rely on them but i think really you know hbo max uh, announcing that everything for the year was going to be in day and date was sort of a godsend for this podcast yeah. because it literally would have just been like Amazon and Netflix reviews only <laughs> if it weren't yeah. for the fact that we had a bunch of these day and day releases. Um, you know, some other people stepped up and, and released their things, you know, day and date on iTunes or at least within a week or two of each other. Um, but yeah, it was definitely a thing where it was like, Thank God everybody's going online. Then there was the, oh, no, everybody's going back on that plan and starting to go back to theaters. And I'm definitely not. I think I saw a total of three things in theaters. Um, mm -hmm. And uh, 
I was going to double that number towards the end of this year. And then I said, fuck it and canceled all the tickets except for (laughs) Spider-Man. Okay. So you got to see Spider-Man at least. Oh yeah. I mean, I wasn't not going to see (laughs) Spider-Man. Yeah. So like podcast people may not know that I was also gone from like December 17th through a few days ago. Um, so like I was out of the country uh, which means I did not see, just among other things, um, Spider-Man, West Side Story, Drive My Car. Um, what are what are the other big ones that everyone is talking I, I about? I still don't think we had or have a way currently to see Drive My Car. I guess you could have seen it in a theater. I think the Roxy was showing it in yeah. theaters. Okay, if you wanted uh, I didn't to go see in Red person. Rocket. You know, love me Sean Baker. Didn't see Red Rocket. I uh, didn't see Nightmare Alley. Uh, up until 24 hours ago, I didn't see Licorice Pizza, but I'm a little bit ashamed to say I threw on the old N95. I booked myself six seats at Alamo downstairs, <laughs> and I did venture out to see a movie that uh, didn't make my top 10 list, though see, I did like it. <laughs> see, I didn't know whether you're going to keep it a secret or not, but I was going to say that movie better be fucking in your top 10 list. Otherwise, that was a complete misuse of your time <laughs> i i will say if it weren't for omicron and the people don't want to want to hear this but basically i booked buffer seating for myself and then i showed up already thinking i shouldn't be here why am i doing this and someone was sitting in my seat and it was awkward and the waiter server person basically said like oh there was a mix-up but you should just change your seat there's lots of open ones go to the cashier and i didn't I wasn't able to stammer like, no, I literally bought like every seat in front of this too because I'm ridiculous. (laughs) So I wound up going to a different seat that was vaguely near another human being. And so for the first like 45 minutes of licorice pizza, I was just fuming like, what the hell happened? Why are those people in my seat? And why did the server not do anything? And why am I so beta that I just like (laughs) accepted it? (laughs) Um, So I think maybe under normal circumstances, it could have like, gotten my like number 10 or 9 slot and i was just so flustered by the pandemic and like wondering whether i should leave (laughs) that it uh i wasn't able to fully enjoy it the way i should (laughs) yeah well i I, I do i slightly regret uh, my decision last minute yesterday to go downstairs and do that (laughs) (laughs) the funny thing though is at the point where you realize that it was never going to be in contention for your list you could have just walked out because it's not really important to finish it before this episode like i'm (laughs) If I, I don't know about you, but I feel like if I watch 30 minutes of a movie and then leave, I'm never going to go watch it on streaming later, probably. Like, that's it. Like, that is my impression of the movie is the impression that I had. So I I felt like I have to stick it out now just so I have a full sense of the movie. And the movie won me over. Like, now I can imagine revisiting it. But I just can't imagine leaving after 30 minutes and then revisiting it like two months later. But but waiting for it on streaming is the perfect chance because you could just jump right to where you were <laughs> and continue you, it on. You make a lot of sense. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know. That was that was a confusing. I was also and still am a little bit loopy and jet lagged and confused yeah. <laughs> being home again. Um, yeah. So no no shade to PTA. Licorice Pizza was a lovely movie, but <laughs> I was so flustered and so immediately sure that I made a mistake by going into a movie theater <laughs> that it was just hard to uh, lose myself to it. So the the real big question that I have that I'm sure no one else has, and they're tired of me asking questions like this, but uh, you were at Alamo. 
did they have licorice pizza on the menu? Well, I don't know, because my rule to myself was I was not going to take the N95 mask off <laughs> even for a second to have a sip of water. So yeah. I, I didn't even look at the menu. You, once again, sorry to make sense, but you could have just left it on your table. And at the end, the guy would have been like, want me to box it up for you? And you'd be like, yes, please. Yeah, because that's what I want is a, a <laughs> two hour cold licorice pizza from a movie theater that I can eat at home later. <laughs> that's, that's for sure the winning strategy. Uh, <laughs> all right well moving on Stephen. let's yep. talk a little bit about uh how we created our lists um so mm. go ahead and i mean obviously we were joking before the episode started that your your list may or may not be complete right now yeah. <laughs> um, but, but what 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 did you put into making this list and what does it mean to you yeah. Yeah. Okay. So I, I'm also going to fold this into further answering your original question about how do I as a film goer feel about 2021? Because I, oftentimes before we make a list, you say something like when you sat down to make the list, you didn't think you would have 10 movies that could go. And I never understood that because I always <laughs> enter the list making period thinking like, oh, God, I have at least like 24 movies that could squeeze here. How am I going to whittle this down? This year, for the first time, I felt like you, like like going into the idea of a top 10. I was like, I got to cram more things. I need to go downstairs and see Licorice Pizza. Like, I need to see more movies so I can make a real top 10 list. Yeah. And then when I sat down to actually make it, I have like 24 things that I want to put on it. So it, I think the the year was just so scattered and there were so many interesting things that were all very different with no consensus. Um, and so when sitting down to make the list... I basically went through my letterbox diary to see filtering by 2020 and upward releases because I, you know, who knows what year letterbox thinks it came out. Uh, but by my <laughs> rules, a 2021 movie is either a movie that premiered in a festival that I went to in 2021 or a movie that legit premiered in 2021 arbitrarily based on what festivals I go to. You know, yeah. like I can't be consistent, but we always end of the year just take everything we saw into account. Um, yeah. So I went through that and I basically wrote in a spreadsheet everything on that that I either definitely needed to put on a list, probably wanted to put on a list, or maybe wanted to put on a list. So I just was like three buckets of things of that I would be happy to be in a list ranking in terms of how necessary they are. Um, and then I really just went through that spreadsheet a couple times coming up with a list my top four has been solid like forever. Um, like I, I've, I've known what the big ones were going to be already. Um, and the rest, there was no rhyme or reason to it. You know, like there are movies that made like the top 10 list that were in the maybe category when a bunch of probably's didn't make it in. There are two movies in the must put in list that did not make my list in the end because um, these lists are a feeling you know it's like how yeah. does the whole thing flow together um and i just once i had a version of it then i started just subbing things out like i know what kind of movie my number eight is going to be and there are like two very good movies that could both be it and that doesn't bump one to number nine it just makes one not be on the list anymore and that's just the thing is hot swapping back and forth until I get a version that I, that I like. Nice. Um, yeah. So, so for me every year, the thing that I like am going out of my way to say is that this is not my list of what I deem are the best films that were created in this year. 
it's mostly the things that I personally enjoy the most. Um, this year, I put a little bit of a spin on that. Um, so like Steven, uh, when it comes time to write this list, I pull up the old letterboxed. But unlike Steven, I have never number rated any of my stuff. <laughs> so I just yep. fave the things I genuinely liked and then just leave alone all the things that like might have been fine or I didn't care that much about or I disliked. So I just literally scrolled through and wrote down the name of everything that had a heart next to it. Then I went through that list again and was like, are any of these things that I would actually ever put uh, in a list? So like, for instance, free guy has a heart next to it. That's not going to be in my list, <laughs> right? So I just skip past that one. And I generated a list and I came up to about 14 films. Um, mm -hmm. uh, every year when I see things, there's always at least one or two films that I walk out of uh, a theater or, you know, after COVID, a screening or a rental or whatever. And I go, I would be shocked if this doesn't make my end of your list. Those things yeah. always just go right to the top. <laughs> yep. I, you know, so I get my one, two, three, maybe. And then I start sorting the things that I like below that. And I start working through the list. This year, the spin that I put on things is I noticed a trend in some of the things that were towards the top of my list. And that was films that, um, I don't know the best way to word it, but basically films that I put the most into viewing and thinking about. So films that I walked away from the film and I couldn't get out of my head or I thought more about it or things and topics the film brought up caused me to do extracurricular work to digest the film better okay, and things so like that. so I know that. at least like, one of them. <laughs> <laughs> well, it could be a number of different things. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, uh, literally, the thing I'm trying to say is my list is... <laughs> it's, mm -hmm. it's all the things that I spent the most time... It wasn't like I watched it and was like, yeah, that was really good. And I want to put that on a list. It was like the thing that at the end of the year, I go, I spent 20 hours thinking about this <laughs> movie. Yeah. Like, no, I, I honestly, I feel similar about my list. And we'll get to it when we go through some of the categories. But there are a few things that I, in real time, rated either on Letterboxd or in our discussions of them lower than would warrant being on this list but then when the end of the year came and i looked back i was like yeah that movie has to be there that was just like a big part of my thinking this year yeah um, and it, it is that kind of retroactive how much time did you spend with it how much did it like get infused in the year so i i feel you I think. Yeah, yeah like there, there are two things on my list um that if anybody has them on their list i would be shocked <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> um, There's so, one I'm still considering swapping in that truly will make no other top 10 list uh, on the planet, except for maybe in one very specific country. <laughs> <laughs> All right. <laughs> um, man, I that, haven't swapped it in yet, but... Uh, We've still got time. <laughs> with, with, with all the festivals we saw, that could literally be anything as well. Yeah, I know. It doesn't even <laughs> narrow it down. <laughs> all right, Stephen. We've had enough fun and games for the beginning of this episode. It is time to talk about our 10 favorite films. Are you ready to do this? No, but let's do it. <laughs> All right. Welcome, everybody, to our top 10 list. Stephen Miller, do you want to start us off with your number 10? Yeah, so typically the number 10 slot that we've discussed this every year is kind of reserved for the wild card. The thing that you throw in that... You don't know if it's really the number 10, but you don't think 
there would be another way to give light to this movie and it's just something you want to champion. And this year, I didn't do that. I don't know why this year, the number 10 slot, because this is mostly a very heavy year. 10 just felt like it should be something more light, more heartwarming, not necessarily championing a wild card so much as just like the movie that makes me smile when I see it on the list at number 10. Uh, And in this case, I did compartment number six. Um, This was a movie that we both caught I think at TIFF, though, honestly, the festivals blur together. Yeah, it was um, sometime. <laughs> yeah, it, it is a, a Finnish film that first premiered at Cannes uh, that was billed kind of as the before sunrise of Russian travelers. It, it's two people on a train going through Russia uh, who meet and start to have conversations with the twist being that they do not like each other at all. It is an aggressive meeting. Uh, It's kind of less before sunrise than like planes, trains, and automobiles. It is a movie about two unlikely people that get shoved together and forced to just spend time in each other's space and get to know each other. This is a movie that I don't want to spoil too much about, except that it just goes on a few twists and turns in terms of the characters that are involved. And it, leads to a very warm place without sacrificing any of the hard edges that make the characters who they are. Um, It is a movie that surprised me that I was actively not expecting to like about 20 minutes in, and then I was (laughs) blown away by how well it managed to reverse it. And more than maybe anything on this list, it just sticks the landing. It has a button that is just perfect and kind of stayed in my head for a long time. This is a movie that when I was scrolling through my maybe put on a list, it appeared and I kept staring at it. And I was like, I have to have it on here. I have to have it on here. It just made me smile. So that is compartment number six. And it's my number 10 movie of the year. Yeah, I think compartment number six is a movie that uh, flies in the face of everything I was trying to argue earlier about just walking out of a film because like you, the beginning of this film sort of rubbed me the wrong way. And even towards the end, I started to enjoy myself, but I didn't like the film yet. Um, but the, where the film goes to and the climax of the film is so earnest and interesting that it sort of wins me over by the end. Um, not enough to make my list, but uh, definitely one from the festival that I did enjoy. All right. So moving on to my number 10. My number 10 comes with a little bit of a preface. <laughs> I'm going to ask you a question, Stephen. Not so much okay. so that you can adjudicate this, but just uh, to make this more fun in revealing what it is. Um, my question to you, Stephen, is what is a movie? Is a movie not a thing that you consume that's roughly two hours that you could maybe acquire for $9.99 that is something you watch with your eyes? And uh, you find very impactful? I mean, I really feel like you're leading the witness, but I I just can't, (laughs) I can't say no to any of those things. (laughs) So Unless it's interactive, and then I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) It might be interactive. (laughs) Um, My number 10 is a little bit of a cheat. Um, But when I... I'm going to try to defend it, and uh, basically everybody's going to have to live with it because this is my list. Is this like Um, Death Stranding or something? (laughs) I don't know what video games came out this year. (laughs) No, it's not Death Stranding. It is a video game, however. Um, My number 10 is a video game called Before Your Eyes. Um, Now, Mm -hmm. Before Your Eyes is a first-person narrative that you consume, um, and it is about somebody who has passed away. They are being ferried across to the afterlife, and the you know thing that is 
driving this boat for them to the afterlife, ask them to recount the story of their life. And what you are watching is this person's retelling of their life as they see it, right? Um, the thing that makes this story so unique is it is controlled by blinking. So <laughs> to play this game, you need a webcam, and the webcam watches you watch it. And what happened is, imagine watching the film Boyhood, but every time you blink, it goes to the next part of the person's life. What happens when you cry? Uh, well, <laughs> you will cry <laughs> when you play this okay. game. And that is a big part, because when you are just bawling your eyes out at like where the story takes you, it, I, like, I, can't, I can't even talk about it without spoiling it, but... Mm -hmm. This is one of the most amazing pieces of content I have consumed this year. It is stuck with me through the whole the whole year. The graphics are pretty crude and rudimentary, um, but the story is so good. The experience of watching it is so amazing. It is $9.99 on Steam. It's available for PC and for Macs. Um, I, I want everybody to play it. It took me 1.7 hours to finish the story in one sitting. Sit in one sitting. There is an option to play without the blinking. Do not do that. It will not, like, if you watch a Let's Play of this online or something like that, it will not have the same weight of watching it and being the thing, being the person that controls it. This is one of, like, the most amazing narrative stories I have, I have consumed all year. And it was like, when I was making this list and thinking about things that stuck with me, I was like, look, this is, like, roughly two hours long. Yeah. It's nine ninety nine to essentially rent if you're only going to play it once. <laughs> like it, yeah. it just. I mean, I'll I'll allow it. it. It also seems like the gameplay mechanics are as little interactive as possible in a way yeah. that makes me more comfortable than if it were like a, I don't know, like a side scroller even like anything where you like really control in a huge way. This this feels. I'll allow it. This is like immersive cinema. Yeah. I appreciate it, Stephen. <laughs> I'm I'm very intrigued now. I'm very, very, very intrigued. <laughs> uh, but but yeah, so that is my number ten, and I promise, moving forward, there are no cheats. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right, Stephen. Are there cheat codes in the game though? Like certain crazy blinking patterns I can do to. Uh, uh, to I don't something. know. <laughs> <laughs> um, but all right, Stephen. Let's move on to your number nine. Not a video game, I presume. What was your number nine? No, uh, my number nine, this has been the most in flux of any of the numbers, which is weird because usually number 10 is the one, but we've discussed before, like 10, you know what you want to put in there, you lock it in. Um, this, over the course of us starting to record, changed three times. <laughs> um, <laughs> and all the options like satisfy a kind of similar thing that maybe when the whole list is done, I'll go through honorable mentions and, and clarify. Um, but the one I ultimately went with, number nine, is a movie I caught up with fairly recently, and that is called The Killing of Two Lovers. Um, this is a movie I don't remember. I think I recommended it to you a little bit ago. Um, but it, it's basically a small film that is the story of a man and woman who are separated they've been going through some issues and it is showing a kind of chaotic two days in the life of the man who is struggling to deal with this new arrangement um he his wife has stayed in the house with his two kids he is living with his father and as the name of two lovers maybe implies enough if not you will see it in the first 30 seconds of the movie um <laughs> his wife has begun to see someone else and he is grappling with that and the movie is just um 
very psychologically interesting. I think the sound design is incredibly evocative in this movie. It's something that really warrants watching with headphones. And it just kind of captivated me and put me in the headspace of this fragile guy who is both from the opening scene, we know we cannot trust what he will or won't do, and we feel very uneasy about it. But then he is also very loving to his kids and very believably normal and an upright-seeming citizen. And watching him toggle between those two things, uh, Clayne Crawford plays the guy, and I think he's just incredible in this movie. And the whole thing was just very captivating and singular, and I thought about this movie a whole lot after watching it. That is The Killing of Two Lovers. Nice. Yeah, I've, I've seen the poster for this film, and obviously the, the title stands out <laughs> as I was just yep. scrolling through like things that came out trying to find something that uh, I hadn't seen that was maybe worth checking out in the last few days of the year. I did not, however, and I have not seen this film. Okay, well, I think you would like it more than maybe the other wild cards on here that you haven't seen before. <laughs> I think this one you're going to uh, you're going to really dig if you watch it. Moving on to my number nine. Uh I had said that there are two things on my list that I, I, I'm sure it, it would be, I would be shocked if anybody else had them. Obviously, the first one was Before Your Eyes, which is obviously not, like, I can't even put it on my favorites list on Letterboxd because you can't select it because it's not yeah. technically a movie. Um, the other thing that, uh, which is my number nine, which is something that I have, you know, like you, I've been agonizing over what to put my number nine slot. Um, I had things, I had plenty of things that could go there. Things that I would love to highlight, things that I've genuinely enjoyed. And um, ultimately, based on the way I compiled my list, there was only one film that I, I knew had to go in my number nine slot. And Is it Reminiscence? <laughs> it's Reminiscence. <laughs> yes! <laughs> I was going to say, and the reason why it's not on anybody else's list is because it's a bad movie. <laughs> <laughs> but when I was thinking about, is there any film that I have name drop more <laughs> in other in reviews? In almost every review since Reminiscence, <laughs> you found a way to name drop that movie. <laughs> I find a way to bring it in. When the movie had finished, I was still thinking about the world. I was thinking about the world so much that I, I found online Lisa Joy's original, uh, original script for the film, and I was reading all the scenes that did all the world building that the film didn't have time to actually keep into the final stuff. So I was like deep diving on like, you know, finding out why people get burned and stuff like that. And like all this special stuff. And I just spent so much time thinking about this film and recalling it back up that, uh, you know, it's just, it's a film that I like to reminisce about. <laughs> and for that reason, I was like, there's no way I can, I can not just put this in the film once again, not because it's a great film, but because there are some great ideas in it. I can't join you where you are, but I respect the hell out of what you did. And when you told me your criteria earlier in this recording, I was like, he put reminiscence in this. <laughs> and it just fits with the original, the original number 10 slot of Predestination many years ago. It just seems right. That <laughs> did I put a Predestination on the... Oh, no, Predestination. I yeah, think yeah, you yeah. did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In my head, I was thinking Final Destination when you said Predestination. So I was like, I'm pretty sure I never did that shit. Um, but yes, no, Predestination. It, it, it just fits with your, your many years of caveats of like, look, this late slot, I'm not even saying it's a good movie. <laughs> I'm just saying you got to watch it. 
And I, I will tell you that the world that Reminiscence built and the premise of it did stick with me quite a bit this year. So I, I think I can agree with you on that fundamental part. The movie just was so not good for me that it, it, it lost its ability to. to yeah, no, no, like it's, it's a bad movie, <laughs> but, but I, I've spent so much time thinking about it, maybe even more because it was bad. Like, honestly, one of the reasons things that prompted me to find the original script online was because I was working on something that was about plot holes in it. <laughs> and eventually I gave up on that because I got so sucked into the world <laughs> of, of the story. Love it. Okay, so my number eight, this is a slot. I, I didn't want my list to be way too heavy like suffocatingly heavy but there were a handful of films this year that i felt like dealt with very real socio-political realities in a way that was extraordinarily honest and heavy and painful one of them almost certainly will be on your list and was on mine until very recently <laughs> um but i know you're <laughs> going to talk about it anyway so I, w I won't bother what i put instead in this slot uh, is a movie called Identifying Features. Uh, this is a movie that I caught up with yesterday, so it is the most recent of anything on the list. Um, it is a film out of Mexico. Uh, I think it premiered in Sundance like two years ago, and it just didn't actually go wide until this year. Um, and it basically follows the story of a... There's a woman whose son has left their hometown with a friend to try and go to America. Um, it, it It's basically the heavy version of I Carry You With Me, uh, the movie that we I, I saw just last year. thinking about that one in my head as you were starting to describe it. Only this is a movie that is describing the reality of what happens then. And the reality is those people go missing all the time. Uh, so she hasn't heard from her son in a long time. Um, and she is trying to figure out what happened to him. And there are basically, there are places you go where you find a list of all these people who have died on their way of trying to immigrate because of the the drug war, um, you know, cartels that intercept along the way, various terrible things that can happen. And this is basically just one woman's quest to find out what happened to her son, feeling very strongly that something terrible happened. Um, it is just very immersive. It's very sparse and quiet. There is a scene where she is speaking with someone who uh, speaks in like an indigenous language uh, rather than Spanish. And he is narrating his version of events. And there's no subtitles. We don't hear, we don't get to see what his narration means. Instead, we see kind of blurry imagery and then we hear him describe it. And this is a movie that it knows exactly enough to give you to let you know what happened without staring at the horrible thing so long that it becomes like so depressing that you can't handle it anymore. Um, I think it is a beautiful movie. I think when Sicario came out, I was like the one person who was a little not vibing with it because I felt like it it went so over the top with things that seemed like real world terrible you know the what life is like just across the border the way cartels can make this like living in those areas terrible um this is the version of that that i think i would have wanted the kind of sparse haunting very honest but then extremely heavy version of it and i just thought it it looked beautiful and i was like completely entranced for the hour and a half that I watched it. So Interesting. that is identifying features and uh, I really loved it, but it is also a lot. So, and you then, know, and then, watch, uh, uh, watch with caution. It, uh, sorry, I don't know if you mentioned it or not, but did you say this was narrative or documentary? 
Uh, this is narrative. Okay, the, narrative. This is a narrative film. Uh, it is... It clearly seems to be built on top of a reality. Just it, it kind of reminds me of Never Rarely, Sometimes Always in some of the places that she goes and the way these different services operate, you know, trying to the name identifying features comes from trying to identify bodies. So basically like looking through a booklet of bodies. Um, yeah. There are things like that that make me strongly suspect that this is rooted in you know, a reality, but it, it's a complete narrative feature. And it actually takes a lot of narrative license in terms of you not really knowing what is going to happen and there being kind of not fantastical elements, but the camera goes places that a documentary definitely wouldn't do. Gotcha. Cool. Um, well, that was your number eight. Um, uh, so my number eight, you know, this year, you know, we're still in COVID. There are a lot of films that come out that some that are just overtly about COVID, right? Like they are clearly working COVID into the narrative, there are other films that try to slyly take the idea of COVID and then metaphorically change it to something somewhere else. And then there are other films, even further from the, these categories, that are not really about that, but you can feel the connection to the mm -hmm. state of the world now. Um, so this is a festival film. Um, I... And <laughs> did you want to just say it? <laughs> no, no, I'll let you announce it. Okay. <laughs> You're shaking your head as though you know what I'm going to say. You might know what I'm going to say. But my number eight film is a little film called Aloners, um, which is a Korean film about a woman who is, she leads a very solitary life, just kind of hangs out alone in her apartment, goes to work where she is a telephone operator, um, uh, working for a credit card company, I believe. Um, it's been a while since yeah. I've seen it. But essentially, it is about somebody who just lives at home and is fully content living at home alone until one day... Um, she's coming home and finds out that her neighbor, uh, who she had just talked to last night, has passed away alone in his home. And it sort of forces her to uh, recontextualize the life that she has built for herself and, and, and try to figure out if those are the things that she wants. Um, this film I found incredibly compelling. Um, I found it, found it charming, but it also I found like I felt a deep, deep connection to it as a, as a person who largely has formed a personality which allows me to be content staying alone for long periods of time. Um, it, 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 it allowed me to sort of like dissect that a little bit and sort of just think about it. And it was like a film that wasn't too heavy handed, had a lot of levity to it, but still felt like it was doing something that really tickled my brain in a way that just, just, just brought me into the reality that this woman is going through and then like allowed me to compare it to my life and just kind of like, just, it was just something that made me think deeply about a situation. And it, it sort of has stuck with me as like, yeah, that one movie, it's a very simple film, but it, 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 it spoke to me in, in, on a level that just made me feel like I had to include it in my list. Yeah. I, I love that movie. It, it was definitely in contention for my list as well. I think it just, I, I mean, you said it, it, it feels like a COVID movie, even though it isn't explicitly about COVID. Yeah. Uh, it just feels like one of those things that is about solitude and the importance of connecting with other people and what does it mean or not mean to be able to do it. And I, I think it was a debut film from the director too. And I was so impressed too, by just the way, like she captured the tone and everything. It was just a very, it was one of those movies that I just want to revisit. I just want to live in the universe of it. So yeah, yeah. I, I was a really big fan as well. Cool. Uh, well, that's a loners. I don't know if this one is available anywhere. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm not uh, sure. Uh, but but yeah, what, what's your number seven, Stephen? 
All right. My number seven. We're going into territory where you definitely will have heard of these movies. Um, (laughs) This was a slot for the kind of like big, more conventional movie, like a movie that has a sense of scale, a movie that really takes you somewhere, as opposed to a lot of the kind of independent feeling things on my list. Um, There were a few candidates for this, but I ultimately went with the movie that I just felt the most for in hindsight, and that is The Green Knight. Um, David Lowry's, you know, fantastical epic where you referenced how you were going to have some movies that had you do extracurricular work. And so I kind of think <laughs> this is a possible one of those as well. Uh, so we may be talking about it again. Uh, but if not, this is a movie that just, uh, it is a whole vibe. It, it basically, he builds this world out of this mythology I knew nothing about, the story of the Green Knight, and he folds in other mythologies. And what I remember from the movie is not the plot. It is not where the character goes or what happens to him. It is the feeling of being lost in this universe he's created for two hours. Um, the look and feel of this world is just like nothing else. I found it transportive. There are so many things that Dave Lowry just leaves open-ended, you know, a scene with giants that is in the trailer. Um, The whole ending of this movie, there are so many things that are just like, (laughs) you could have gone heavy-handed, you could have given a direct plot, and instead you want to just tickle my brain and leave me wanting more. And this is one of those movies that I... You know, I loved it at the time, but couldn't really express why. And then when the end of the year came around and I was staring at what could go on a list, like, I have to include it because I just thought it was uh, transportive and incredible. And, like, I said this is for big movies, but, you know, for a big movie, this is also very strange and subtle and chooses to withhold a lot from the viewer. So I think it is a very kind of hypnotic movie that just asks a lot of you and is very rewarding if you go along for the ride yeah um green knight as you sort of teased is a film that uh, i spent a lot of extracurricular time on um i will say it is not my number seven (laughs) all right (laughs) um (laughs) but what is my number seven is another film that is um it's a high concept film um, I, I guess I'll say that. Uh, you know, there are a lot of films that have come out this year. Um, you know, when I was talking about Aloners, I was talking about either COVID films or films that feel like they're taking on, um, you know, at least proposing an idea of how larger society would react to some sort of event that uh, could be bad. Um, there are films like Don't Look Up, which I did not like at all. <laughs> Yeah, no, I hated it. I watched it on the plane. I was like, please don't have it on your list. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's not on my list, uh, but I was worried that you might think I was going there. But but yeah. a film that, you know, like I was talking to somebody who had seen Don't Look Up, and I told them to see this film instead. It is not a film that technically fits, but like, I think if you've seen it, you can find a way to fit it. Um, and that is a little film called Silent Night, um, mm-hmm. which is... One of the films we saw in our festival, it is, <clears throat> I don't even want to say too much about it, but it is, it is about a, a bunch of people who are either friends or directly related, who are all gathering at one house on, is it, it's Christmas Eve, right? Um, I think so, yeah. It's uh, some vaguely Christmas holiday. <laughs> and they are all gathering um, together in, not really celebration, but in sort of just togetherness 
to to write out some things that are coming. Um, and I think that I, I thought the film was incredible. Um, it is it is incredibly funny, but it's also just a very interesting. It's one of those films where I walk away from it and like, yeah, I enjoyed the film. I liked what I watched, but I also love what I didn't watch. Like everything that mm-hmm. is surrounding what you are watching is so compelling to me. And I couldn't not think about it. There have been other films this year that caused me to think about uh, people's state of mind and how they would choose to live out um, in worlds if conditions were a certain way. And I think that this yeah. film just ratcheted that up to uh, like a hundred. <laughs> um, and it just, it, it, it is stuck with me. It is stuck with me in just the thinky way. It is stuck with me in the like golf clap way. <laughs> just due to where the film goes. And uh, there are there are things that are incredibly terrifying in the film. When it, it's one of those films where like you watch it and you think one thing, but then if you really think about what you just watched, you're just like, this is fucking terrifying. Um, and I just I, I I loved it. I know it's not for everyone. I know people who hated this movie. <laughs> I know people who hated this movie that I made watch this movie. <laughs> but for me, for my money, it was an amazing ride. And it's one of the films that I have not stopped talking about <laughs> or thinking about in my head. <laughs> I, I appreciate it. I, uh, I I really liked this movie, too. I definitely I didn't like love it just because I felt like there was I, I don't know. There, there's a certain like juvenile-ishness to some of the humor that like is totally the point of the movie but for some reason i just like never fully get on board for that stuff yeah Uh, but i think when compared to don't look up like (laughs) all i could think the whole time i watched don't look up is silent night not only did the satire the bleak humor of it better it also did the like pathos at the end that it did every part of this better it is strictly better at doing what you want to do Yeah, yeah um because this it is a movie that it sticks to its guns it has its convictions and it fucking rides them out the whole way it doesn't blink yeah it doesn't stop to hedge its bets it is like we are doing this dark comedy and you are going to be here for it the end yeah Um, and i respect the hell out of that it it was a very pleasant surprise and i laughed a lot uh, at the (laughs) festival Um, so yeah i i respect the pick (laughs) This is just the movie poster for my top 10. This <laughs> is just Steven saying, I respect it. <laughs> yeah, I respect it. I can't agree with it. Um, well, I'm about to steer in that direction uh, with my number six. Uh, this is something that I am not copying other people's lists. I knew I was going to do this for most of the year that this was going to be on the list. And it is a movie that is not a quote Steven movie by any conventional means. It's not something I ever would have thought I would have put on this list. And it could be argued is not a movie. Um, <laughs> and that, that is a uh, Bo Burnham inside. Um, this is a comedy special, but it's a movie. Like let, let's be real. Um, <laughs> the prem, the premise of this meta documentary comedy special thing is that Bo Burnham has been alone inside one room and he constructs an entire comedy special from scratch and we watch him over the course of basically all of 2020 grappling with being alone during the pandemic 
now I'm aware this is performance art. That is like part of the thing is him selling you on this narrative, despite the fact that he is like, you know, dating the director of Hustlers and probably lives in like a multi-million dollar home and has a happy life that is not this alone <laughs> single room thing. Um, I thought this was fucking brilliant. I thought... It, there are certain bits toward the beginning that are like normal goofy comedy special that I don't personally need, but I think are important for setting up the comedy special tone of this movie only to then take you deep into the psychoses of the Bo Burnham character as he experiences the COVID pandemic. Um, there are songs, of course, in this that I have not stopped having in my head for the entirety of 2021. Yeah. Uh, to this day, I like I listen to them in Antarctica. I listen to them like on the plane. <laughs> I run listening to them. Um, there are visuals in this, like what he does with lights. He uses like disco balls and timed lights and mirrors and reflects things on surfaces and projects videos um, that are brilliant and extremely well-crafted, especially for a person doing it all alone, which I believe is true. Like, I don't think a cameraman is secretly fitting in that room. Um, there are like just meta jokes that he does commenting on himself, commenting on the commentary on the commentary that I think he, he just captured something about what it feels like to be in the pandemic, to live in the internet age, and to be inundated by information, good and bad, silly and terrifying, to feel angry and frustrated, and all of these things packed in a tiny box with nowhere to put it. And I just think this was the, this was the most 2021 thing that came out, and I couldn't stop thinking about it, and I just had to give Bo Burnham props. So inside... <laughs> In a normal year, I might have put this number 10, but no, this is fucking on the list. Inside was, I think, an amazing achievement. Yeah, it, it was in contention for my reminiscence slot, but I was like already cheating with the video game. I didn't want to double cheat for my end slots. <laughs> um, I, I believe this had a brief theatrical run, so it like technically is allowed to qualify. <clears throat> That's what I've heard. <laughs> yeah, um, but yeah, I, I thought it was incredible. And it's also one of those things where it's like, obviously... Bo Burnham is a highly intelligent person. He is incredibly skilled musician and writer. All of that is amazing. But like, as you kind of mentioned, the, the technical achievement of what he does in this, it was, it's, it's whatever the Christopher Brain version of a four quadrant movie is, where I was like, holy shit, like the music's good. His, his lyrics are great. Uh, like everything he's doing is is amazing. Plus this technical achievement of doing some of this stuff in real time and like yeah. working with all this equipment and getting it all working in sync. It's like it's like when you watch a you know a musician like work with like a bunch of loop looper pedals and like play an entire like ensemble piece all by themselves. It feels like that, but it's like yeah. lights and <laughs> shit. And it was like it was one of those things where I was watching it. And I was just blown away. I was more blown away technically almost than i was just the entertained side of my brain um mm. but but yeah it, it was it was incredible and uh steven i respect the pick <laughs> <laughs> thank you all right uh my number six is the most recent film that i have seen um and that is a film that i i didn't know about until i started seeing other people talking about it uh, most recently and that is a little film called nine days this is a film that comes dangerously close to me not liking it. 
um, because the story it wants to tell is actively against where you would need the film to go if you care about the details of how this world works. So it was like right on the edge of pushing me over disliking it. But there are there are moments in this film that are that are so beautiful, like such beautiful concepts. I don't have have you seen this one, Stephen? I I haven't. It was honestly it was in my list of things to maybe try to catch over the last forty eight hours, and I landed on. I have enough things for my list. If this makes Chris's list, and it probably will if it executes <laughs> on what it says it's going to execute on, then I'll check it out. <laughs> yeah. So I mean, it's definitely worth watching. Um, I, I was going to try to I was going to try to say something ambiguously just to you if you had seen it, but since you haven't, then anybody who's listening, uh, I don't even want to say it because you haven't seen it. Um, but but this is a film that you know it, it is a very high concept and it's a beautiful portrayal of this situation. Basically, essentially, it is. Um, uh, beings of some sort auditioning over the course of nine days to come to Earth and be alive. The the reductive way of talking about it would be say this is the uh, the Pixar soul idea of the mm-hmm. great beyond, but somebody took it and made it a deeply dramatic philosophical statement on like life. And I think that. I originally was pulled in just because the beauty of wherever this place is that we're that we're watching all these things take place. And by the end of the film, you know that the filmmaker wants to tell one specific narrative, not a general narrative. And I think that for my money, I, I'm so enthralled in where that place is and what it means and what this person is choosing to do for the candidates um, that are coming in. And they're, they're, the imagery is amazing. Everything about this film has made me not stop talking about it. And like, people are like, Oh, anything good. You have to see this movie. It does like, it's, it's something that has really stuck with me. It's only been like, you know, like nine days or whatever. (laughs) That that was not, that was, I swear to God, that was not a purpose. (laughs) I thought you even did a look where I I was like, okay, he's, he's making a little nod. (laughs) Well, no, no. Like the funny thing is in my head, I was like, I was going to say a week, but I was like, that doesn't sound like long enough. So it's like, what's in between a week and like the next, I'm like nine days, whatever. Um, but no, but seriously, it's been probably nine days since I've seen it. Um, and it's still there. There is, there, there is beautiful things that happen in this film that like still stick with me and make me think about, just it's kind of like moments that you are suddenly taken out of the film and put somewhere else in the same way that a person in of this being in the film is being uh, taken there and it just it's such a beautiful presentation of this idea of a moment that is important to a thing um that i just Mm -hmm. it it stuck with me like i didn't have the reaction that some people have been talking about how it like makes them feel great grateful to be alive I, i didn't have that reaction to the film but i was just awestruck by the beautiful presentation of the themes of what it's doing. And, and it's, it's, yeah, I, I thought it was incredible. Um, and yeah, you should see it, Stephen. Well, I'm, I'm excited. I had a similar experience in that I saw it start. I had heard about it. Like I think film spotting put it on its uh, list of golden brick nominees, which is usually what I look at to find like lesser seen things I should check out. Um, but it wasn't until it started to make, like people's top 10 list, some people's number one film of the year that I was like, I really need to catch this. I think the only thing that actually stopped me two days ago is I searched on 
Apple TV, and for some reason it showed it as available to pre-order. And even though I knew it is definitely streamable, something about the Apple TV UI made it be like that, and that was just enough to make me watch something else instead. Um, And then when I thought about it later, I didn't have time to slot it in. Yeah, that's strange, because I definitely rented it on (laughs) on Apple TV. Yeah, no, no, I, I'm no, positive it's no, no, no. It's uh, Amazon Prime, or not Amazon Prime, but yeah. Amazon Rental Video. That's where I saw it. Yeah, but but still, all of that, like the search functionality on an Apple TV, should show you all of it. So it seems like yeah. Apple screwed up and is only showing you their thing instead. That's probably that's probably the case. Anyway, I'm I'm excited to check it out. Yeah. Uh, so my number five, uh, this will be the last one that there is a good chance you haven't seen. <laughs> um, <laughs> but it it made it this high because it just blew me away when I saw it. And I haven't been able to stop thinking about it. Um, and that is a film called uh, Test Pattern by Shatara Michelle Ford. Um, Test Pattern, I'm going to tell you the description of the movie. And it is going to sound like it is a heavy, heavy sociopolitical movie, The End. And it is not only that. Um, so the description <laughs> is that there there is an interracial couple, um, Renisha, who's a black woman, and Evan, who is a white guy, uh, who we watch them start dating. And then one night, uh, she is sexually assaulted, or she suspects that she's been assaulted. And then we watch them over the course of a day trying to find a rape kit in a hospital in the South and having all these problems uh, going through it. Now, in a sense... This is, I've already name dropped this movie. There is a little bit of never, rarely, sometimes, always in this. This is highlighting all the hurdles that people have to go through, you know, women in this country to get something so basic, so fundamental um, as knowing if they were assaulted and having some provable way of showing it. But what it really is on top of that and what I think makes it so interesting is it's the story of a relationship surrounding that. Like uh, Evan as the boyfriend and Renisha as the person to whom this was done. We watch over the course of the movie as he feels he does everything quote right at first. He is like supportive. He isn't blaming her. He wants to do the right thing. And then that support, we see it become a little bit more manic and a little bit more like he needs to prove that it happened this way. And he, there's this just interesting thing that happens in the movie where it is about their relationship and how the weird possessiveness and power dynamics start to shift as they go through this painful time and not in a way that makes one person the villain, but in a way that I think is very true to how relationships work. Um, And it kind of intercuts the journey they're going on with moments from their past. Like there's a moment where he is like, realizes that he fucked up and that he went too far and he comes to her looking for forgiveness. And she remembers a time that he was like late to something and she yelled at him and then he like apologized correctly. And there, I'm, I'm not doing it justice, but this movie, there's something that made me tear up, not only about the very real heavy subject matter of what she's going through, but from the truth it spoke to about the complicated relationship between two people and how we are never fully supportive or fully, we always are like stumbling around trying to do what what we think is right. Um, and I, I just thought it was really intelligent and interesting and it showed a really unique perspective. Um, there is like race in the picture because he is a white guy feeling possessive of her. There's obviously gender dynamic. There's so many things piled on to a movie that also feels very personal and emotional and just had me kind of tearing up in little bits of like 
beautiful naturalism. So I, I was really blown away by this movie. I did not expect it to leapfrog so high on the list, but I, I just sat kind of in silence for a while when the movie was done thinking through what I had just watched. Cool. Um, well, moving on to my number five film. This is a film that we have already talked about. Um, and that is a little film called The Green Knight. Um, yeah. <laughs> so, uh, you know, as Stephen hinted at when he brought it up, um, you know, my list is based on things that I've put in the most effort to consuming. And The Green Knight is a film that I saw, um, liked it, wrestled with some parts of it, <laughs> went and, and grabbed the source material, read through that, and then started rapidly consuming content around it and just... I had a lot of fun dissecting this film on the episode and talking about uh, my thoughts on the film and the comparison between the original um, as somebody who had never studied um, the original Gawain and the Green Knights uh, text. Um, and it was like it was it was it's visually arresting. Um, it's it's an amazing looking film with an awesome mood and tone throughout the entire thing. Um, so it's like, it's got that enjoyment piece and it's just like the intellectual scratching that it did for me and, and, and the time I spent into kind of enjoying it made it just a very solid, um, pick for dead center ish in my list, I guess can't be dead center of an even number, but you know what I mean? <laughs> hey, I, I agree wholeheartedly. Uh, green Knight is a great movie. There was a version of my list where it was up to like number five or number four. So <laughs> I, I definitely vibed hard with this movie. I'm, I'm glad that it made it this far because I, I was thinking about it and I wasn't sure if it would make your list because I knew you, you were into the tone, but you also felt some comparisons to the book or the, to the source material that you weren't super keen on yeah um and that's why it wasn't until you talked about how like a movie left you thinking that i knew it would play somewhere and i got i got real happy cool um well did your number four make you happy steven <laughs> uh, it did at the very very end but for the most part it was not <laughs> a extremely hopeful movie um so when I set out to make this list, the first rule I gave myself was I was not going to include documentaries because it was just going to make it too difficult. But there was a movie that I just couldn't leave out because it left me. So I had such a strong emotional reaction to it. And it was my favorite thing at the festival that I saw it at. Uh, and even though it is a documentary, there is a lot of visual creativity in how it was made. And that is the movie Flea. Um, Flea is a movie people do seem to be discovering it at the end of the year. It's been nice to see it crop up in a few people's lists as they start talking about the year in review. I like to think we called it very early, <laughs> um, but it is an animated it, it, documentary about it, a... In my head, this was like on your, your list last year. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, because Sundance was in January. Like the next Sundance is starting in like two weeks. It's yeah, yeah. fucking crazy. Um, anyway, Flea is an animated documentary. Uh, that basically follows the main character as he tries to leave Afghanistan, uh, you know, basically become a refugee. And we see all the different things in his life where that led him in his attempts to do so. Um, I am a sucker for animated documentaries. I love Tower. I love Watts with Bashir. <laughs> um, I, I love the way that it combines truth, like real, actual truth of a person's life with 
creativity and art and beauty. There's just something that really I find very meaningful when you combine those two. And in this case, it is a movie all about his memory and his recollections. So getting to see kind of like fleeting portraits of his recollections of life in Afghanistan and of family members that he may never see again and of different harrowing situations that he went through when he was younger and so you have like the fog of memory from being young and you also have the you know added artistic license that makes it harder to see details and i i just think it is a perfect vehicle for the subject matter um and like other things on the list like it is about a very serious issue, you know, uh, refugees, uh, how do we treat people who are fleeing? How do we, you know, humanely house them somewhere? But it isn't just a dry, this is a serious subject matter, period, end of sentence. It is also about a real human being with real emotions. And it goes to places that we wouldn't always expect. And it has little like, bits of humanity, especially toward the end, like surprising little moments that just, I I think, really elevates it from the pack and made it a movie that I couldn't leave off my list. Uh, So that's Flea. Yeah, um, I think Flea was a film that, you know, has has a pretty steady pace and cadence to it. And then right at the end, it sort of switches things up and pulls different sort of emotional strings than than it had been up until that moment and it's like it was a film that i i kind of wasn't super vibing with it was kind of like i i get everything you're trying to tell me right like it it felt like (laughs) i had seen everything this documentary was trying to tell me and then at the end it goes like psych sucker (laughs) you did not see any of this coming and it, it it really it sat with me really strongly by the end of it um but but you know i i didn't know what i was watching (laughs) until until that moment totally cool um well well speaking of films that i didn't know what i was watching until that moment (laughs) if if i Uh if i'm trying to uh if i if i if i'm grading something based on being the most time i have spent thinking about it if you count from the moment i watched the film till i stopped watching the film <laughs> i spent months working on this film um uh my number four slot uh goes to the power of the dog which if you have listened to our review that's definitely probably the most fun i've had this year i think reviewing a film is that conversation like like sure the green knight number five most stimulating conversation uh, uh, about dissecting a film power of the dog film was was the most like manic fun like enjoyable wild time um trying to talk about this film it is it's at the time i saw it the first time it was a beautiful film a beautiful film uh that uh, was slightly tragic um <laughs> later on watching it it was a beautiful film that was uh, slightly sinister <laughs> and i think that um it's it's the only film that was really two different films for me this year and i think that yeah. I, I I couldn't think of another film that I had that I that I spent any less time thinking about uh, than Power of the Dog, and uh, yeah, that's why it made my number four slot. Hey, I mean, it was a movie. It, it was two films, and so it's only fitting that we review it twice because my number three film is Power of the Dog. <laughs> um, I, I, like everything you said, I think this and The Green Knight are the movies on the list that are just like movie movies like a whole 
immersive visions, new worlds that you get transported to. And I think The Power of the Dog, the moment I started watching it in the middle of TIFF, I just had that feeling of like, I am no longer watching a festival film. I am watching a like assured director that knows exactly where they want to take me and has finally calibrated every little piece of this to bring me there. Um, I think Jane Campion is just incredible. And I think the movie is just so precise in what it wants to do. Um, it knows how to build dread. It knows how to foreshadow. And yet it knows how to do it in a way where you do not know what the hell is going to happen. And then the moment it ends, you want to go back and watch all of it again <laughs> to see what you missed. Um, you mentioned you had two experiences watching the movie that were very different. I think Jane Campion made both of those movies at the same time. And that is part of the magic trick of this movie is how well you can interpret it in multiple different ways and feel very real things for everyone involved under two vastly different interpretations of why anyone is doing anything. Um, I, yeah, I, I think it is an incredible movie. And probably if I were grading on the most accomplished film of the year, this would be my number one. Um, it just didn't emotionally touch me the way a few others in the list did when I also think we are maybe going to have some overlap as we get into our top three. Um, but yeah, uh, power of the dog was fantastic and Benedict Cumberbatch should probably win uh, for best actor this year. I would not be upset at all. Yeah. My number three um, is a film that I'm gonna be honest. I probably wasn't going to watch this movie. <laughs> it is a film that I was like, Why? Um, I knew nothing about it other than uh, the poster for the film and the title of the film and the lead actor in the film. <laughs> and I was like, like, why? And then, you know, there was buzz and literally all the buzz started with, this is going to sound weird, but this film is really good. And I was yep. like, all right, let's sit down. Let's watch this film. And uh, it was good, but it wasn't. It wasn't good the way I could have possibly expected it to be good. Um, this is, of course, the film Pig, uh, yep. which is a film that made me recontextualize food and sense memory and the idea of how all of the moments that are most important to us are centered around consuming food together and how, like, you know, there's a line in the trailer where a character says, I remember every, ma every meal I've ever made for anybody. And that sounds like a whatever line in a trailer, but like when you think about the idea of like, yeah, like the most important times that I've had sitting around a dinner table or doing something special with people around this food, like if, if the person who made that meal carried the weight of what this interaction was on them at all times, it, 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 just, it just made me recontextualize everything I can think about just like what is memory and and it, it, it like there is a like I've, I've never had somebody make me cry cooking a meal <laughs> yeah. you know what I mean like not even tasting the meal this isn't me like yeah, oh the, my god the ratatouille this makes moment yeah. in this movie it, is just amazing and it's just like as I'm realizing what is happening I'm just like this might be the best movie ever <laughs> And, and it's just, yeah, it's, 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 it's stuck with me and it's just like, yeah, I don't know. It, it's, it's an incredible film. It, it is not the John Wick 
uh, as a chef that I was expecting when I sat down to watch the movie. It's almost like the the truffle pig is sort of a MacGuffin for this other story that wants to be told. And it's that that story is so beautiful and so meaningful that it's just like this film is just it's stuck with me in a way that I, I did, didn't expect at all. Yeah, um, I agree with you, which is why it's my number two movie of the year. <laughs> um, I think this might happen one more time, too. Um, but yeah, P- Pig is b- beautiful. Um, Pig is a movie that I bawled my eyes out <laughs> when it ended. Um, it is a movie you said it's about memory and sense memory. I completely agree with you. I think it is about how you get transported by things. And I think in a weird way, it is a perfect COVID movie because we've all been sitting at home remembering what it was like to be in the world and do things. And this is a movie about how sacred the act of remembering can be, I think, and how we partake in like little rituals or little we do little things to transport us back. And in a kind of real way, we are resurrecting the thing that we're remembering by partaking in the ritual. I know it it doesn't make sense unless you've seen the movie, but there's something I thought that was really interesting and beautiful about how like sacred it is to eat and taste and remember and like live in a memory and savor it. Um, I think Nicolas Cage's character here is very much about intentional living. You know, there's a line uh, that has been quoted a bunch that hits like a gut punch, no matter how many times you've heard it when you see it in the movie, that is like, we don't, we don't get a chance to, (laughs) I can't believe I'm going to butcher it. We we don't get many things to really care about. Like, Like he talks about like how, how important and personal it is to have a thing that you love and savor it. And I think he lives in the present. He lives very intentionally. And even though he's on this John Wickish mission, what he's really about is beautiful, present things that can let him commune with memory. And he has this very simple way of speaking to others that is kind of the, I'm, I'm going to use this analogy again, probably in the future, uh, but a Swiss Army Man type thing where he's like, he's describing the world and what it means in a way that is like so direct and unadorned that it feels blunt, but instead it makes you cry. Like it just gets to something very deep about what it is to be a person. And yeah, I, I loved Pig. I almost, I was going to watch it again yesterday, if not for seeing Licorice Pizza. And I still think I made the wrong choice. <laughs> that's, yeah, that's true. <laughs> oh man. So once again, that was your number two, right? Yep. Um, so I can only assume that my number two is your number one. And my number one is a movie that you left off your list, but like ruined our potential to be completely lined up for our top, our top things. Yeah. yeah, Um, yeah. So we know exactly what all of them are. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Um, So uh, my number two. um, Come on, let's get it over. Yeah. Conveniently enough. (laughs) My number two, if we, if I said the first half of the movie and you said the first, second half of the movie, we'd be saying the full title of the, that make Mm -hmm. that would be, that would count no that matter would be what true the of any movie. <laughs> yeah. Uh, anyways, it's a film. Come on, come on. Um, like, uh, like the way that pig forced me to recontextualize the significance of food. <laughs> come on, come on. Made me recontextualize the significance of audio. <laughs> um, and just the like. Once again, <laughs> brings it back to reminiscence. <laughs> um, just the idea of, of memory and. 
and holding on to something in an audio form where like you are narrating for yourself this world like obviously it's 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 amazing performances it's a beautiful look at what it means to be an adult and a child like simultaneously and like um caring after another person caring after young people old people like this film has it all but it also has that just dissection of how do you hold on to memories um and how do you like I, i was having a conversation recently um talking to um some people i know and we were talking about, you know, moments of your life, like significant moments that you lost to some event that you that you went yeah. through or that you, you know, whether it be leaving, you know, hometown, right? Like moving up to the Bay Area, right? Um, we've 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 both made that move. Um, yeah. The when you first made the move, that was a huge transition. Like you are going to reach a point, right, where you have lived away from home longer than you have lived at home. Like no matter where you go, that will eventually become true. And even if you spend several years of your life going through something or you have this one weekend, month, uh, however long this film takes place, significant things happen. But as you go further away from that, you might worry that the emotional state of that moment won't, won't prolong the experience. But like the idea of saving it in these like recorded moments for yourself. I don't know something about what the film was doing in, in addition to being interesting, uh, you know, hitting all the emotional beats, right. And presenting the reality of these characters in the way it did. It also made me just think about holding on to moments of profound beauty or just interest or, uh, joy, um, in, in ways of the, of the way this film is doing it. It just, it stuck with me. It still, it continues to stick with me. And, uh, yeah, come on, come on. I agree with it being your number two so much. I made it my number one. Um, this is <laughs> the second year in a row where I think a perfect headphone movie made my number one slot. I think it is just a, this is a couple of years where quiet reflections on what, what it means to be in the world and to take notice of the things around you. It, it just feels very meaningful now. And I think I love, come on, come on. I, I thought it was so beautiful. I, we talked in our review about it being a cheat code and I stand by it. It like, it is not fair how well this movie works. You know, there are other movies that didn't make this list, let alone that got lower on the list that if you were to write down what it takes to make it and compare it to this movie, it seems deeply unfair that Mike Mills film is my number one. Um, but it's so perfect. Like it, it just perfectly executes on what it wants to do, which is show me life through the eyes of a child, you know, show me a grown man grappling with loneliness, what it means to live in this world where you are of it, but you're never really connected in the way when you're a kid and you have like loving parents who are taking care of you, you go out into the world and you are, you know, an alien, you're a spaceship, like you're, you're this thing traveling through the world and you're observing it and you can't fully connect to it. And he just finds there's so much beauty in this movie. I think, again, the child actor is incredible. I can't get over how realistic the relationship between him and Joaquin Phoenix is, how well they show the idea of an evolving relationship over time, where at first it's a little bit standoffish, and then it's little kid and an adult, and then it is more two people who know each other and love each other. Um, There's just so much love in this movie. 
Um, and it is, I think, beautiful, and it addresses themes of the moment by hearing a bunch of kids talk about their future. It gently touches upon what have we done to the world and how can we find hope in it. There, it, it's just, it is a hopeful movie and a sweet movie and charming, and the cinematography is gorgeous, and it made me want to go back to New York again, and it just uh, it had everything I wanted in a movie this year. It just made me feel peaceful and contemplative and yeah i i loved come on come on there it is um so yeah i mean if if this podcast had a best in show obviously it would be come on come on (laughs) (laughs) um but there was one other film that came out this year that uh you know, like like in years past, you know, there are films where I walk out and I'm like, I don't think anything will top this for me in yeah. the the levels of emotion and even like pure uh, even handedness at covering a, a topic. Um, th- this is a film that I've been waiting for this to come out because I want people to watch it. Uh, it finally released like the weekend of Christmas on VOD. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was like, I'm like, I don't I can't. I can't really recommend it to people because a, I have to give a caveat with the recommendation and the caveat is a spoiler of sorts. <laughs> um, yeah. Even though the description of the film now in all the services just flat out. Oh, says, they spoil it? Yeah. They kind of say okay. what it is and, and the trailer definitely gives it away as the last line of dialogue in the trailer now. Um, but that is the film mass, um, which Sticking with my own call of of what I'll say a spoiler is, I'm just going to say that this is a film about uh, two groups of people coming together to discuss um, events that have transpired somewhat between the two of them. And it is it is people coming together, burying their 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 heart and soul in the effort of understanding, in the effort of healing. Um, and they, they are dealing with really heavy subjects and this entire film is literally four people sitting around a table just talking. And it's like this film, when we saw it at the festival, I am glad I was able to watch it alone because I just bawled my eyes out. I I rewatched it, uh, you know, when I was, when I was getting ready to, to make this list and I cried more the second time. Like I was crying just the whole time because in my head I knew I knew the moments, I knew the things that were going to be said. And like, as they led up to me, I was just like, like tremor crying. (laughs) And like Jamie was just like holding me, uh, trying not to laugh at me. (laughs) Um, but it was, it was just like, this film is just gut wrenching and it's just like, it's amazing. I've never seen anything like it. Um, the way it, it deals with the subject matter is so, so, even handed is not not even like a good enough word to describe it. it it just feels so fair and you see four different people's hurt and anguish manifested in different ways because of what have what has happened between the event and this conversation and what it all means and i think that that it's just it's 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 rewarding in like the way, in in the journey of what you go through with it and like you know you talked about like Benedict Cumberbatch, like being able to get an award for this performance in The Power of the Dog. And I agree with that. But also like what is on display in this film is so powerful that it's like 
I, 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 I would love to see somebody from this film get an award for, for their acting yeah. because um, it just, yeah, th- this film wrecked me. It wrecked me twice. <laughs> um, and I, yeah, I, I want everybody to see Mass. Did I even say the name of the film yet? <laughs> yeah, you did. Okay, you cool. said it at the beginning. Um, <laughs> uh, but I want everybody to see Mass. I feel bad trying to put people through it, but if, I feel like it's something that people should get through because it's it's just it's 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 a powerhouse of everything that it's trying to do and i it, it's it stuck with me from the time i left that that's that you know viewing um till this moment that we're talking about it right now <laughs> like it, it's it's such an incredible film and like i knew from the moment i saw it that it was going to be my number one film of the year and nothing not even come on come on has like taken away that mantle that it is like sort of put up there um and yeah Mass. Yeah, I mean, I I loved Mass. I obviously was alluding to it earlier. I, I grappled with how high or if at all to put it on the list because I, I think it is an incredibly powerful forehander, you know, of a, of a movie. It is, it's just people talking. It is one of those things that it is like the perfect stage play, but something about the camera and the fact that it is a movie makes it more powerful and gives you just enough time to feel when you should feel. I am I'm surprised in a good way that rewatching it worked so well, like you cried all over again, because in my head, a lot of what made the movie work for me was the total surprise as to where it was going and the just not knowing a what it was going to be about and then once you realize what it is about feeling the push and pull of these four people's relationship to each other um in in my head it was a beautiful 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 piece of writing that was so heavy i couldn't imagine wanting to see it again and that just inevitably made me not know how much to champion it yeah, yeah. or not um but i i think it is a it it is an incredibly accomplished film um it was vying with the identifying features spot as something that it, it is about a very now thing like it it is about a very real thing and it is also about the human condition and it will make you cry a whole lot and it is also raising thoughts that we should be having and conversations we should have and yeah i i I love that movie i still it is the most glaring omission on my list like when i was staring at my list i kept being like am i really not going to put mass on there and i think (laughs) it is the certainty that it would be in your top three that made me feel comfortable not listing it (laughs) Yeah, it, it it is it is like for for the reasons you were suspecting of like uh, why you almost didn't want to revisit it. That's exactly why I did revisit re- revisit it because I was like, if I have like stamped this at the top of my list ten months ago or whatever it was that we saw it, like I have to at least rewatch this film and see if it holds up to a second viewing. And and it, yeah, it it still did amazingly. Um, and it's not. Uh, you know, it's not like a, a Requiem for a Dream thing, right? Where it's like, this movie's amazing and I never want to see it again, but at least I'll never do drugs. <laughs> like, yeah. this is just like a... It it, 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 it just so heavy. Yeah, I, I also am... I'm a little frustrated that the synopsis reveals so much in this movie. I just checked it too. Because I think the title... The beauty of the title is the... 
the religious nature yeah. of what it's discussing. And the whole thing feels like spiritual in a very interesting way. It's like people coming to the the depths of what it means to be a person and looking into the darkness and trying to find light. And I think there's so much beauty and ambiguity in that. And it it would be a real shame if the trailer or promotional materials is giving away more than it needs to, because I think there's something really profound about the experience that we had yeah. watching the, it. The 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 trail the last line of the trailer is the line. Mm-hmm. Um, so like it's pretty, which is funny because I, I I watched the trailer just to check it out to see like what they did reveal, and I was watching the trailer going like, oh wow, it's impressive. They've chosen the perfect pieces of dialogue to communicate the feeling of these conversations without communicating any of the subject matter. And at the end it goes because blah. (laughs) And I'm like, Oh, you're just going to throw that out there. And of course in the trailer, it doesn't have the same, it doesn't land with that thud that it does when you're watching it in the context of having people just talked for 45 minutes straight before that moment. So yeah. Nice. Cool. Well, Stephen, we did it. These are our top films of 2021. Um, I did not prepare anything for <laughs> for conversations looking forward into um, 2022. But, you know, it, it is kind of funny. Like one of the things that we kind of didn't mention when we were talking about what it was like to be a film goer last year is in past years of the show, we had a giant list of things that we were waiting to come out for us to see. And I think that it was quite frequent that either you or I would text the other person on like a Saturday night at like eight o'clock and be like, uh, were we reviewing something this weekend? Yeah. (laughs) And then we'd have to go look up and figure out what was coming up. I kind of, I, one of the places I usually go to see what's coming out is firstshowing.net. Um, just cause they have like a one click button to get to like everything that's coming out that year. And if you look at all the past years, um, you know, there's like, even though it doesn't necessarily feel like it, there's like seven, you know, five to seven, maybe even more things that come out in every single week slot, whether it's combination of VOD and films. If you go there now and click for 2022, which maybe it's different now, but it it was the case like a couple weeks back. It's like after you get out of like February, it's basically two movies a week for like the rest of the year. It's like there is (laughs) like nobody knows whether like nobody knows what the hell is happening right now. Like we don't know whether things are going to go back uh, whether people are going to have to find another way to start distributing films again, like it, it just feels like the industry is still in a, in a you know trout of mystery as far as what they can try to do to to make things viable for people. But um, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I have no idea what 2022 looks like. Um, I if you asked me to name five movies coming out in 2022, I definitely couldn't do it. I don't know if I could do three movies, two movies. <laughs> <laughs> Do I know anything coming out? Uh, uh, Mission po- new Mission Impossible is coming out. <laughs> yeah, hopefully. Uh, Ma- hopefully. Uh, Top Gun. Uh, yeah. Doctor Strange. Um, mm-hmm. Morbius, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> That's been pushed back because no one wait. wants to see it. <laughs> um, All number one of the year material. Um, <laughs> How funny would that yeah, be? I, I honestly, the the last few days when I was catching up on movies, I felt a little bit sad about not not like the movie industry but specifically about like the kind of movie watching that we do where we really want to 
stay up to date and see all the great movies that come out because I was thinking ahead and I was like, is it going to always be a battle between like me going to a theater and feeling like I am risking something for no reason or me waiting 45 days after a movie comes out or longer before I can see it and talk about it? Like, is that just what we do now? Yeah. Or am I going to cram again? Like Sundance is virtual again this year and it starts in two weeks. Like, do I have the stamina to do that again right now? Like, it, Sundance took a lot out of me last oh, yeah, year. Oh, yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, I, I'll, I'll be honest. I am, like, exhausted even thinking about doing it. <laughs> but before they announced they were going to be all, uh, all virtual, um, they were partially virtual. And I, I looked on the site, and their ticketing system, I don't know if they've changed it now that it's all vir- virtual. It was so convoluted and bullshit that I was like, I'm not even interested in doing this anymore <laughs> because it was such a pain mm-hmm. in the ass. Like their individual tickets, $20 a piece. That's fine. That's great. That's totally worth it. Yeah. But a day pass, which only allows you to see four of all the films that release on that day is $100. I'm not a math whiz, but I'm pretty sure $100 should be five, not four. And then there's hmm. a pack- ticket package you can get that's award winners but you still only get access to a certain amount of the things that eventually get chosen as awards and it's only four per day because it's two days it's is there just a full festival pass again this year uh no you can only buy day uh, sorry there might be one festival pass that's like eight hundred dollars or something um which seems a little weird and even that is limited to how many it, it it's really you're paying a premium with the passes to give you early access to to get your seats for yeah, I, I just it, it was hmm. it was really frustrating trying to look at the different packages where I was like, I don't know, Stevens Stevens out of commission for three weeks. We'll talk about it when he gets back. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know if I have it in me. But then also when we look at the list this year, you know, your number one was a Sundance find. My number four was a Sundance find. Um, like. It had the goods for sure, yeah. <laughs> um, but I I honestly just like thinking about another work week where I try to cram that many movies in the gaps, I'm just like tired yeah. even imagining it. I mean, we, we might just go for uh, what we did the previous years, which is like, we're going to see five things, pick the things that sound the best and hope they're good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Maybe we can do that. Yeah. Though then we never would have discussed, like, I don't think mass would have been one of those five, for instance. I mean, like, I, I did. <laughs> Like, I'll I'll go back to what I said in that review. When we were trying to pick things, I read that first description of, like, this film will rip your heart out and drop it on the ground or whatever the description was. And I was like, I'm seeing that. (laughs) So. Okay, I trust you. But, yeah, like, just just the description of that film. Like, if we had only seen four things, I would have pushed hard to see Mass just by the description, knowing that, like, this is going to be a good cry and I want to be there for it. But, yeah. Any any last thoughts to to round out uh, the the year that was? I, I mean, I, I was thinking of doing some honorable mentions, maybe just because this was such a weird list, and a lot of things could have been on it until the very last minute. Yeah. Um. And anyway, I, I mentioned mass already. That is probably the the most clear thing missing from my list that I felt very strongly about. Uh, I already explained why it didn't make it. Uh, another one that was on every version of this list until two minutes before we recorded was the card counter. Yeah. Uh, I really enjoyed the card counter. I thought stylistically it was just so overwhelming. It communicated something about humanity. It has everything I love. And the only reason it didn't make my list is 
at the last minute, my heart just didn't feel upset about leaving it off the way that it did for some other movies. Yeah. Um, but before, before I decided to make my list thematic, the card counter was definitely on there and it was like yeah. near the middle point for me. Yeah. No, there, there was a version of my list where it was like number five yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and now it's not even on it, which just tells you how absurd the whole idea of making a top 10 list is. Um, yeah, uh, another one uh, that was on my list during the beginning of us recording <laughs> uh, is The Lost Daughter uh, by Maggie Gyllenhaal. Um, that would have gone in the Killing of Two Lovers slot, which I was kind of reserving for complicated movies about family dynamics. Um, the I, Did you see The Lost Daughter? So I did. I know we're not reviewing that film in this moment. Um, I really like half of that movie. I don't like the other families that are just there to add suspense. Um, mm -hmm. I think it's a strange narrative. I assume my problem with it stems from the book that it's based on or, or whatever. Um, so like, I, I don't fault the film it's, at all, but it just, yeah. it rubbed I, I, me the I'm wrong way. I'm guessing you enjoy the past tense half of the movie. Yeah. Yeah. Like I, I enjoy all the conversation about like Olivia Coleman's character and mm -hmm. how she sees everything. I even love the presence of, uh, what's her face um like the way olivia coleman sees her and and Dakota. like yeah all, all that stuff is good i just the fact that the other family is there all together and just the the presence they occupy the oppressive force that they sort of loom over the film strikes me as unnecessary to communicate the the themes of the of the film yeah, see, I all of that is kind of what bumped it up a little bit more for me because I thought I, I thought it, it is a really beautiful, you know, drama story of a complicated relationship of a mother with her children in a way that is kind of brutally honest, which I loved. And then the suspense and the maybe it isn't the presence of the other family, but unpredictable things that Olivia Coleman does with respect to the other family that we don't understand why she does them. And we are never given a way to fully understand. I thought all of that added a layer of intrigue in the movie that I, I just found like really, really, really interesting. Yeah. Um, so I, I was totally captivated by it. I'm kind of shocked. It didn't make my list actually. Um, Spencer is another movie that I kind of wanted to include on the list just cause I, I really liked the style. I think, um, I think the acting is great in it. I like the kind of claustrophobic camera work. Um, yeah, I like Jackie too, so I know you didn't. I, I did not. <laughs> yeah. Which is partially why I did not even bother seeing Spencer. Yep. Um, Kristen Stewart, forever, man. She's she's always great. No, yeah, I, I, I agree with that statement. I just, I wasn't expecting to, I, I just, I never, I was never in the mood to put it on, basically. Can I name one that I kind of thought was going to be on your list, even though we would be the only two people in the planet who had it in our top 10? Um, Entregalda. <laughs> <laughs> it, it was, it was, it was in the running. It it wasn't like, it wasn't like honestly in contention, but like when I built that version of my list that was like 14, it was definitely yeah. in that list. And then I was like, it, it's just solid. I don't know. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I'm going to tell you something and then I'll, I'll let you throw out some honorables if you have them. Yep. Um, 
a thing that I wanted to be my number 10 for so long. And I chickened out at the end and went with my heart with compartment number six. But for a while, a version of this list had number 10 be bad trip. Because <laughs> um, <laughs> I laughed so hard at it's that movie. So I think it it's is so a good. serious accomplishment. It is amazing and hilarious and unlike anything else. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And no, it's, it's, it's for sure great. Um, <clears throat> so yeah, I'll, I'll go into um, my... Um, honorables in the sense of things that we're obviously never going to make the list, but like, this is the time to say it just because it needs to be said. And, uh, I don't know that, uh, you know this yet, but Spider-Man No Way Home is fucking great. (laughs) Mm. It is so good. (laughs) Um, it was never going to make my list. Uh, but I, I just, I, I'm sad that we didn't do a review of it because it is, I thought it was really good. Um, you can wait for it to come on Disney Plus, and then I'll do it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If Sony isn't blocking it, I don't even know what the rights are with, yeah, with I, this franchise. I don't know how it's all going to work. Um, but uh, but yeah, there is a version of my list where there were two things vying for the number ten slot, um, and that were the films that made me the the most joyous, I think, over the course of the year. And that was uh, language lessons and together together. Yep. Um, mm-hmm. Both of them, I thought, might be on your list. Yeah, yeah. I, I really thought language lessons when you were setting up movies that were about COVID without being about it. I, I was like, I was getting ready for that to be yeah, your yeah. answer. It, it, it was definitely a thing that was that was that was on there in a way that I was like, hmm, man, what is yeah. what's, what's going Lang- on? Here? Language lessons was fighting for my number ten for a while, also. Yeah, that would have been a fun a fun matchup, I think. <laughs> Um, I'll give you another pure happy one that I almost put at my number 10. Uh, even though the first time I watched it, I didn't even like it. I was tick, tick, boom. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, in terms of things that were stuck in my head that just gave me joy, that movie gave me a whole lot of joy. And Andrew Garfield is just crushed 2021. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I would say that, like, I didn't think it fit my, 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 my listing rules. Uh, but if you count listening to the soundtrack as um putting effort into consuming the film then then for sure tick tick boom should have been there um but then again if you're doing that rule then so could dear evan hansen but (laughs) i wouldn't ever put that on their list with that (laughs) (laughs) um let's see uh i almost rewatched how it ends just to Mm -hmm. see if it could possibly uh be like once i once i was in the silent night range of 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 territory i was like what other uh, sort of things in this genre could could maybe make this list, um, but it was never going to actually make it. Um, the Father, um, yeah. very good. Uh, when you're talking about documentaries that impressed you and then made you slightly happy at the end, I thought potentially you were going to say The Rescue. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I, I, the, I mean, The Rescue was amazing. I thought about that being on the list too, but that just felt so totally a documentary that I felt safe enough leaving it off. Um, it's funny you mentioned how it ends, by the way, because when you were doing your intro to Silent Night, a part of me was like, is he going to put how it ends here? Because <laughs> I really liked that movie as well. And critics hated yeah. it. That movie got like eviscerated. And I was kind of going to slow clap if you like got it on your top 10 list. It's definitely, I think, I think it, it does. And I mean this in the nicest way. It does the lazy COVID movie the best out of all the other films that mm-hmm. tried it. <laughs> Right. Yeah. Like just have two people walk through Los Angeles and encounter like every actor you've ever seen that lives in Los Angeles and 
have them you know make up some shit for five minutes like it it, it executes on that like perfectly <laughs> you you mentioned the father by the way and i struggled with there were two movies that i wanted to maybe even have on my list definitely i wanted to acknowledge that just i didn't feel like i could count for this year just because of how weird the award season was last year and that's judas and the black messiah and the father uh, both of those movies i think are great uh, and could easily have been on my list and i just something didn't feel like they were 2021 movies yeah. i think the father did technically screen a little before the end of 20 it, it was weird it i I have no good reason for why they're not on there, but it just it didn't feel right to have them on my list. But they were they were real good. Yeah, that, that, that was like when I was scrolling through my list of everything that I'd seen um, this year. I was like Minari. That was for sure last year. Yeah, <laughs> and I was like, and I'm like googling for like 2020 top 10 lists. And I'm like, yeah, that was fucking. And I'm like, oh, this is one of the because I think it was one of those things where we just we missed it at every festival that we tried to see it at yeah. or something like that. So. um that was just funny that it was like, oh, that's still that's still here. What do you know? Um, and then, uh, yeah, in in the the other thing that was sort of in contention for that number nine slot, um, which would be a bit of a wild card for me, um, but it was it was a film that I still can't get out of my head for reasons that are hard to explain, and it's a film that is slightly hard to recommend. Um, but that is the film Violation, um, which is the story of uh how a woman handles dealing with somebody who sexually assaulted her um and so it's it's it is a rape revenge fantasy that handles the subject matter as dark as it actually is instead of sort of like like the way that it was handled in say a promising young woman where it's like very stylized supposed to be sort of funny and biting commentary on stuff this is deadly serious quite literally and it is it is shocking in how realistically it handles the 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 horror elements of of what you're watching and it just it's it is stuck with me it has left an impression on me and that fucking the ending of that movie is so wild <laughs> it's like i'm never going to forget it <laughs> that was that was sundance right i, re I remember you talking about I, this i think so from like yeah. a midnight screening or something yeah 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 it's great um a, a few others all rattle off uh in the people just having a conversation and it being a brilliant movie category uh the humans was something it was never seriously in contention for my list but i did feel feel pretty strongly about it um there are two movies that have very similar names so i'm gonna say them next to each other even though they're wildly different uh those are slalom and saloon <laughs> um both of them i loved uh slalom is a movie about a a girl in it i believe it's in france though it might have been in like quebec um who is training to be an olympic skier um and it, it's just a movie about her experience there it gets into some heavy material it just it's the kind of thing that in like 2013 would have been in my top 10 like a classic straight down the middle indie movie that i just felt very strongly for uh, and saloon i thought was just like such a wild and fun ride uh that that was the i forget i think it was a senegalese movie i think so yeah. um 
that that was basically part heist, part like ghost story, part sci-fi. It was so many was things, so and it I just thought a, that movie was fucking badass. Earlier, <laughs> when you were ta- you started to talk about like a foreign film that no one else is going to have on their list, I'm like, is he going to fucking yeah. do it? Is he going to do it? I there was again a version of my list where it was my number ten. I definitely, <laughs> I I definitely considered it because that movie was awesome, and I really hope it gets to be seen by yeah. someone. Um, Right. And then finally, uh, just a movie that like, I know you didn't like it. It wasn't ever really going to be on my list, but I did love it. And if I went by letterbox ratings, it should have made my list. And that was Bergman Island. <laughs> but <laughs> when push came to shove, my heart just wasn't in it. And so it didn't, it didn't survive. Yeah. Um, there is one other thing that, uh, in an iteration that I was sort of vying for a competition in that violation slot that was eventually went to reminiscence for me is um the film gaia uh one thing that was weird about doing so many festivals this year during covid was that not only were there a lot of films that were sort of covidy but there were also a couple different films that were like what are all the problems we're going through what if there's like some sort of outbreak and also we tie in uh environmental like stuff right and 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 there was there was in the earth yeah like in the earth and yeah in the earth is a film that i was vibing on it super hard and in the end it just went wild and i was like all right screw this noise um and then we got to the other festival and gaia came out and i was like i'm vibing on this hard i'm like i like this a lot more than i like um um uh, in the earth and then suddenly it becomes like a low-key prequel to the last of us video games and I was like, oh, my God, this is awesome. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, so Gaia is available um, for VOD. So people should check that out. Nice. Um, I, I just remembered two more. Uh, one, I already mentioned it earlier in the episode, but Licorice Pizza, I, I really just need to rewatch it. But already it would probably be in my top 15. Like it definitely came close. It is a heartwarming movie, I think. I think it has everything I love about P.T. Anderson and removes a lot of things that you don't always like about him. I think it, it has everything good about Inherent Vice without what you wouldn't like about it. Like, it replaces... <laughs> without being a movie that I hate. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, it replaces the pointlessness. Like, it has the hangout vibe that Inherent Vice had, but it turns it into a extremely heartwarming kind of coming-of-age story instead. And I think it it, it was really charming and, and just lovely. With... Uh, one or two really big missteps kind of uh like you've you've probably heard some of the discourse around it but it's like josh brolin's uh scene in the restaurant he kind of triples down on it in the movie and when it hits it really is like why did you do that the movie would be fine without you doing that um that part does hit like just all the wrong notes but in general i thought it was a lovely movie um and another thing i wanted to mention um which is kind of an example of how over the course of a year how you feel about a movie can change even though the movie didn't change uh is coda i think early in the year coda would have been in my top 10 like when sundance happened i was so swept up in that movie and so charmed by it and it just like it didn't quite have the staying power that I wanted it to have. And I don't know if that's fair. Like if it had come out in December, I probably would be riding the high and have it on the list. And it just, for some reason, it just kind of fell a little bit over time, but it was lovely and it made me cry and it made me listen to both sides now like a hundred times. Yeah. I I think if it didn't have the music teacher in it and it was a little less formulaic, I think it probably would have been 
way higher, but it's so it's so earnest and funny and and like joyous. But I think that there were more joyous films for me, like Together Together and Language Lessons, yeah. that were just like that. It, it it didn't feel like the best TV movie you've ever seen. It felt like those other ones felt like a good movie, and Coda felt like yep. a little bit like the best TV movie you've ever seen. So yeah, no, I I agree with you. I think the teacher character and the formulaic elements are why it, it's funny because they're the kind of things that the moment after watching it, I don't mind that stuff at all. Yeah. I'm just like hell yeah, standing ovation. I'll acknowledge in a review that there are flaws, but it, it it's why ranking movies is so interesting because how you feel about a movie six months later is so different than how you felt while you sat there, and. I don't know what the value of one over the other is, but it's just yeah. the lists wind up being very different. I mean, and that's part of why I built this list for the first time the way I did, which is like, mm-hmm. what things am I still grappling with right now versus I walked out of the theater thinking this is the greatest thing in the world. Um, sometimes those are not mutually exclusive, but there's one last film that I do want to bring up, which there was a version of my list where I contemplated putting it in the, in this version of the list where I contemplated putting it in that video game slot um, which was, I was like, I was like, did this make me recontextualize anything? And I was like, it kind of made me recontextualize the, how I relate to a robot. And that is, I'm your man. <laughs> mm, I thought about it too. I was like, cause, cause this it, like, you know, yes, I'm, I'm, I'm on board for the hers and the, the ex machinas, right. Where it's like, is this thing alive in a way that you can get everything you need from another person from this this machine and i'm your man makes me think about a world in which like yeah what if there's never a question about the artifice of what this being is and that's the charm and it makes you think about in the context like you know in 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 her and ex machina it's all about the emotions of how you interact with this thing and in i'm your man it's the idea of like yeah, if you just offhandedly reference to the thing what you're building your thesis on, it's going to know how many other people around the world have had that same idea. And it's like like those type of ideas of just like the reality of like, what if you were dating Google? <laughs> you know what I mean? like, so. No, I, there was a version of my list too where I wanted to not dime your man. Like I couldn't find a real way to make it in a top 10 or yeah. honestly probably even in a top 20, but... <laughs> That was one of those movies that my heart wanted to mention somehow, because um, yeah, it was it was just charming. It doesn't. Maybe we can just stop recording. But I <laughs> I just want to ask because when you were doing that build up, I kind of thought you were going to say the movie Little Fish. Did did you wind up watching that? So, so I I mean, I almost wanted to just do a straight spoiler review of that film. Um, but yeah. assuming we don't have time or the inclination to actually do it, I'll say this. I, I, I watched, I, I, so sometimes you will, you will, sometimes you will recommend things not necessarily because like, I don't even know whether you've seen it. You just, I hadn't you seen just it when I recommend pass it. it off to me as though like, this seems like it's up your alley. Maybe you should check it out yeah. and I'll just add them to my wish list in iTunes. And then eventually when I get around to like, now I have time to watch something, I'll pull out that wish list and I'll be like, oh, I was like, oh yeah. And then I was like, given like what's going on, I was, I was like, I was like, you know what? Let's watch Little Fish. Um, you know, Stephen, how sometimes I watch films and there is just something about the premise that I cannot get over. Um, mm-hmm. And my problem with Little Fish is 
Well, I, I have two problems with Little Fish. One is the weakness of the film is that it feels like it was not actually a pandemic film and they shoehorned in pandemic imagery. Like, I think they had an idea of this neuroinflammatory disease. And, and then they shoved in, like, surgical masks and stuff like that later. Yeah, like, they turned it into a thing. And, like, there is a scene in the film where a pharmaceutical company announces promising results from their trials. And for 30 seconds, it's as though the world goes crazy because everybody wants into the trial. But it's literally one block and it's never mentioned again. And it feels like... Mm. So that was the first problem I have with the film. It feels like they are trying to make this a COVID film, even though it was never conceived of as a uh, COVID film. The second problem I have with the film is that neuroinflammatory disease or whatever condition. People deal with this every day. It's just old people. Mm -hmm. And I couldn't get over the fact that people are treating this as a novel, no pun intended, like disease that was oh my god can you imagine if 20 somethings suddenly forgot who they were like yeah go fucking watch the father this is terrible and people deal with it every day like you don't get you don't get to make me feel more because it's hot 20 somethings like (laughs) you know what i mean like it it, i i was angry at the premise of this film um and then the fucking last line of dialogue in this movie no, you you don't just get to yeah. put it there and then act as though it means something. You can't like oh. So I see. I thought, and and it it's funny. Maybe we're gonna have to trim this. How much time we're spending to a movie that is definitely not on either of our lists. Um, but I thought the problem you were gonna have with this movie would be largely the way they tried to sandwich the dialogue, the way that they did, which is just like lazy and doesn't serve the movie at all. I have no problem with the. To me, the comparisons of movies like Still Alice or The Father or whatever were good because they they are doing different things. I don't think it's that they're young, attractive people here. It's the inevitability of people on both sides knowing it is going to happen at an alarming speed and not having gotten to live a full life before that. Like, I think it's baked into the premise in a way that isn't just like shoehorning like or forgetting the fact of Alzheimer's, but just like using it as a way to do a meditation on relationships. I liked it. I was charmed by it. I didn't love it, but I liked it. I watched it on the plane on the way to Antarctica. But but for me, <laughs> I, I guess the difference is that in in real life, one half of that equation is young, attractive people, right? <laughs> like metaphorically mm-hmm. speaking, right? When it's a parent in relationship to a child who is the age of these kids, that person still has that experience. Except for it's worse right. because you watch the slow decay and it, and and it's it's I don't know I, I just couldn't get over that distinction that like what they're trying to do it just bugged me and don't get me wrong it still worked but I was mad that it was working interesting see like I think I think there's just something different about romance in terms of what you are trying to preserve in a relationship, the fact that it's a spark, a feeling, a combination of memories that is fundamentally different from the relationship with a parent or other more traditional memory loss stories. I, I think it's doing a different thing. Yeah, yeah. I will say I laughed out loud. There's a scene in a bathtub um, that involves the title of the film. <laughs> and oh, yeah, I yeah. laughed so hard. <laughs> <clears throat> but I am... 
trying to edit around this, but I am in the middle of a coughing fit. Uh, I think I have reached the the end of what I can handle speaking. Yeah. Um, I, I think we're done recording and we might just trim all the little fish. Oh, no, we're going to leave it all. <laughs> oh, yeah. Anyways, Stephen, we've reached the end of our recapping the films of 2021 episode. If people want to find you throughout the week, where can they do that? Uh, people can find me at twitter.com slash sdavidmiller or sdavidmiller.com. The people can find me at ChristopherMillerLife.com or Twitter.com slash ChristopherIRL. You can find the podcast over at TheSpoilerWarning.com where you can get a bunch of the back episodes of the show. If you want to subscribe to the show, you can do so on Overcast, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, or wherever podcasts are found. If you want to get a hold of us directly, you can send an email to fans at TheSpoilerWarning.com or you can use the contact form on our site. Um, music for this episode will come from something. If tradition stands, I know exactly where it'll come from. But given my my latest exploits with YouTube... It'll probably be different music <laughs> just for now. Um, but um, thank you all for listening. Uh, thank you all for making it through this episode. <laughs> Sorry, my voice is completely gone. Um, but uh, yeah, it'll be an interesting year going forward, Stephen. We'll see what the next review is. <laughs> yep. <laughs> all right. Take care, everyone. Bye. Bye. Bye.